This week, Red Button gives over its time slot to 10 years, 10 songs, 1972 to 1981. No, it's 1976 to 1985. And this edition features Angela Cairns. No, no, it's Sue Beer. Now, are you sitting comfortably? Good. Then we'll begin. time, one song per year, a song that reminds you of that year. We are not trying to retrospectively make ourselves seem clever or musically sophisticated by backdating things that we discovered later in life. We're picking tracks that are not necessarily our favourite music by our favourite bands, but that instead provide a kind of a map of our lives, ten years at a time. Well, here we are, discussing the soundtrack of my life. It's not something I'd ever considered before, but um, here we go. These tracks are from my wonder years, age 12 to 22, and um, they do span a variety of genres in a relatively brief space of time. And um, that's, that's the way it was back in the 70s. The pop scene was very vibrant then, not least boosted with the advent of the Home Music Centre. And I was very lucky to have been given one by my parents. But as we were treated equally by my parents, my sister also had one in her bedroom. And from within our respected chambers, we would perform our own little Battle of the Bands. It was a case of my Sex Pistols versus her Tchaikovsky. But it's a little wonder then that the family broke up by the time I hit 17. Age 12 and having been raised on KTEL records, which were brought home from my dad from the record shop on a weekly basis, I was on the brink of a crossover from glam to punk, with a bizarre anomaly in the middle. It was a record which was released a week after my 12th birthday, and it headed straight to number one, and it just seemed to sit there all summer long. I wasn't particularly a fan of either Elton or Olivia Newton-John. So it wasn't Olivia Newton-John, it was Kiki D. Shows how much of a fan I was. <laughs> Although I did hear quite a lot of Elton around my friend Maxing's house, because they had even gone as so far as to name one of their cats Bernie, after Bernie Torpin, Elton's manager. They were such great fans at their house. And although this name was later dropped in favour of Flid, as it transpired that the cat had a taste for chocolate and chips, and in the 70s no one had heard of PC or political correctness, they didn't really think twice about the sensitivities of naming a cat after the thalidomide tragedy. So, poor little thing, eh? But, uh, yeah, following this brief aside into the cultural element of growing up in the 70s, or rather the lack of culture, 
Um, I'm introducing my first track, Don't Go Breaking My Heart by Elton John and Kiki D, which topped the charts before I set sail on a school cruise to the Baltics, aged just 12 years and one month old. And it was still number one on my return from Russia, Germany, Denmark and Finland 10 days later. I arrived back in Billericay, Essex, just in time for the tail end of Britain's massive 1976 heat wave. I'd enjoyed myself enormously on board the ship, dancing to this track every night with a boy from Harlow named Tony, who would probably be very embarrassed to know about this because, in fact, he was a bit of a punk rocker, really. And I had met him on the coach on our first outing, which happened to be to Helsinki. And it was a Saturday afternoon when we arrived and everything was closed. So we did what we would normally do as 12-year-olds and we hung around by a statue in a park. I have a photo of the statue and no idea as to what it is or where we were at the time. But it didn't matter really, as we were with boys. And back on board the ship, despite a Force 9 gale hitting us for two days and at least one night, I danced my way around the ship's canteen while everyone else was being violently ill in darkened dorms. The disco still continued, and naturally boosted by the thrill of it all, I returned home with a lofty ambition to become a ship's stewardess. I also returned with a chrome-studded brown leather dog collar, which was given to me by Tony as a souvenir of our newfound friendship.
hindsight, I would say that 12 years old was probably a bit young to be kissing strange lads. But it was 1970s Essex, after all, and I never saw Tony again. In September of the same year, the dog collar was replaced by the school tie, and Tony's company was replaced by my dad's presence. Dad's employers in the city held long-term tickets for two seats at the Royal Albert Hall. And this was a perk of Dad's job. So I would board the train in Billericay and head for the big smoke to meet him at the end of his day's work in London. From Liverpool Street Station, we would head off on the underground to see a whole array of stars, from Elkie Brooks to Billy Joel, The Shadows and Leo Sayer. These were, of course, my Dad's choices and I don't think the Osmonds were around at the time, or the Bay City Rollers, come to think of it. Not in London. But as impressed as I was by Billy Joel, my favourite band by a long chalk was Roxy Music. And luckily, they were my dad's favourites too. And we went to see them three times over the space of as many years. We weren't restricted to the Royal Albert Hall either. Dad was happy to pay to see them at other venues, And the most memorable gig was watching them from row three at Hammersmith Odeon on their Flesh and Blood tour. From this glorious viewpoint, I first saw them perform In Every Dream Home, A Heartache, Roxy Music. In every dream home, a heartache And every step I take Takes me further from heaven Is there a heaven? I'd like to think so Standards of living They're rising daily But home, oh sweet home It's only a saying From bell push to faucet In smart town apartment The cottage is pretty The main house a palace Penthouse perfection But what goes on? What to do there? Better pray there Open plan living Bungalow ranch style All of its comforts Seem so essential I bought you mail order My plain wrapper baby Your skin is like vinyl The perfect companion You float in my new pool Deluxe and delightful Inflatable doll My role is to serve you Disposable darling 
can't throw you away now Immortal and life-size My breath is inside you I'll dress you up daily And keep you till death-size Inflatable doll Lover ungrateful I blew up your body But you blew my mind And sadly, in our dream home, there was also a heartache. My parents' marriage was on the rocks, and so by the age of 14, I had virtually moved out of the wreckage, foisting myself on my best forever friend, Maxine, whose single mum worked nights, and so no one but Max and her two sisters noticed or cared that I had pretty much moved in rent-free. Dad would make an appearance every couple of weeks or so to hand over a box of chocolates to Max's mum, along with some cash for my upkeep, which only really consisted of a diet of chips, salad cream and Campbell's condensed tomato soup. And this was because her mum rarely seemed to make it to the shops. And to be fair, chips was pretty much all we were interested in eating back then. The cooker hob saw the most action when we were lighting our fags off the electric rings and throughout every school holiday, most weekends and even some school nights, we would sit in Max's bedroom, the air thick with the smoke of Players Number 6, listening to David Bowie's 1978 album, Stage, four sides of the most fantastic tracks ever written. We would talk about boys, 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 and the likelihood of imminent Armageddon, of course. I very much love the whole adult drama of Bowie's lyrics, and not least, his fabulously pessimistic rock and roll suicide. Time takes a cigarette Puts it in your mouth You pull on your finger Then another finger then your cigarette Wall to wall is calling It lingers but still you forget Now Your rock and roll suicide You're too old to lose it you're too young to choose it And the clock waits so patiently on your song You walk past a cafe But you can't eat when you live too long Can roll suicide. Ship breaks, snarling. Hey, as you stumble across the road, 
the sun catch a shadow Don't let the milk float blind your mind They're so natural Religiously unkind was a time of great fun music well maybe not the the Bowie one maybe not but uh, generally speaking there was a lot of glam and a lot of fun in in 70s music but it was also a time of strikes the IRA bombing London indiscriminately and also the bomb the bomb you know the nuclear bomb which suddenly appeared on the scene and just worried the, the life out of everybody really But uh, we decided if the nuclear bomb wasn't going to get us, we were going to kill ourselves instead. And the smoking continued well into my later teens and beyond. The dog collar made a reappearance in 1979 when I suddenly found punk, again, part two, via the drummer of a band named Anti-Establishment, who was uh, my boyfriend after a very short period of time. And, and not for very long either, really, I suppose, in the greater scheme of things. But um, bowled over by Susie Sue, Billy Idol, <laughs> I think, yeah, Billy Idol, the members and the likes, and having been fetched home from Maxine's by my dad or booted out by Maxine's mum, I can't remember which, um, I returned to my miserable family and to my old bedroom, which was now decorated to my liking. 
Its lavishly artexed walls had been painted lime green in celebration of my return and they were quickly adorned with Sid Vicious and crass posters and little greasy blobs of blue tack, which I don't think ever came off again. And in my bedroom, I created my own little bit of nicotine heaven, while my mum, dad and sister basically had to put up with an awful lot of noise. And this time the noise had become so routine that they fitted a doorbell by the phone in the hall with the chime mounted on my bedroom wall so that they could alert me over the music when I received a phone call downstairs. Well, you may think I was indulged as a teen and you may well be right, um, but I think the jury's still out on, on that as to whether it was necessarily a good thing or not. I certainly loved it at the time. And this track is Nicotine Stain by Susie and the Banshees. It was time to think about leaving school and getting on my ship to sail around the world. And although I would have strongly disagreed at the time, I was really still way too young to be looking after myself, 
let alone the welfare of several hundred passengers on a cruise liner. So I took a clerical post with P&O. My dad had been keenly arranging interviews for me with cruise companies, implying me with Italian, French and German dictionaries. Such was his high ambition for his daughter, the intrepid traveller and linguist. However, after a solid week of typing behind a desk at the P&O claims department, it was all I could do to stay sane. And along with the other young ones in the company, every lunchtime we would head for the local pub for games of Space Invaders, while necking pints of lager. Or on days where we fancied a hot lunch, we would head for their subsidised canteen and then keenly take advantage of the subsidised corporate bar afterwards. Perno and Black at 60p a shot. So, believe me, no one under the age of 30 worked at P&O in the afternoons. Everything I typed would be returned by my beleaguered line manager for a retype the next morning. And there was a general feeling that jobs were ten a penny. And it was still the case that I could walk out of work in the morning and into a temping job in the afternoon. Most days I was sorely tempted to do so. And with this in mind, following a riotous weekend of partying in Bristol, I suddenly decided to throw in the towel at P&O to move to the bright lights of Bristol, where there was a squat with no electricity, but there were about 10 other teams who had also decided that life would be much more fun away from Billericay and the daily grind of the London commute, and Bristol would be as good a place as any to base ourselves while we overthrew the capitalist system. This track is by a relatively unknown band called The Poison Girls. And it's called Persons Unknown. Thank you. 
Poison Girls were a female band from Essex who were on the Crass label, along with Crass, Sounds, The Mob and several other very anarchic bands. And in our own anarchic way, we spent at least a year of partying on down, going to festivals such as Stonehenge, Glastonbury and Psilocybin Fairs, all the musical druggy stuff. And I even ventured out on a little jaunt with the notorious convoy, driving between festivals at a snail's pace all summer long. I'm not sure at all as to how I came to be on a bus with the convoy. It must have just seemed like a good idea at the time. No questions asked. I certainly wasn't with anyone from the squat, and nor was I with anyone on the bus in particular. I just found myself... <laughs> Sorry, it's funny really, isn't it? Um, I just found myself going along, just from one festival to the next. The bus broke down constantly, and when anyone else broke down, the whole convoy had to stop, and it was utter chaos on the roads. There were so many breakdowns en route, it's a wonder that anyone managed to gather at the same time at any festival, anywhere. But that's the way it was back in the day, and there was no road tax or MOT required, so the buses were pretty much on their last wheels, should we say. And when the summer festival season was thankfully done, and the winter of 1981 came around, I was ready for a hot bath, a return to my mattress on the floor, and the opportunity to embark on my first serious relationship. And many hours were spent in bed with Barry, in heaven on his mattress on the floor, listening to this lovely track, also named Heaven, from the fantastic Rolling Stones album, Tattoo You. I still like this album because it's quite understated and relaxing, which is uh, not very much like the Rolling Stones, really. Senses, my senses, my senses, my 
Barry, being a little bit older than me, had been one of the first guys to move to Bristol from Billericay because he had been accepted into university. And he was in no way connected with the squat, apart from the fact that many of his friends lived there. And I met him in a roundabout way through the Billericay crew. He was not only older and better read than myself, he also had the kudos of being in a very popular headline in Bristol band, The Crazy Trains. So we had a wonderful relationship for the best part of two years, renting a little garden flat together with our cat Leo. And it was while we were dating that I also met my forever friend Nicola, because she was going out with their lead singer, John McLean. Very sadly, John died last year, quite suddenly, and his death is still a very great loss to us all. And as I can't get my hands on a Crazy Trains recording, this record will have to fit the bill, as it was something the four of us used to listen to a lot while playing Scrabble, we never could beat John, and fighting over Trivial Pursuit after a heavy night at the Oldham pub. And we knew the roadie from this band, and he would sometimes hang with us too. This is a band called the London Cowboys and the track is Hook, Line and Sinker.
Unfortunately, I let myself down hook, line and sinker the same year when I broke my leg following a big cider drinking afternoon on Brandon Hill, where about 20 of us gathered with about half a gallon or a four gallon container each of the very rough dry cider Dixies. And we walked up to the top of the hill with our cider in our gallon containers And once we'd drunk a fair bit of it, we would roll down the hill and then stagger up and roll down it again. And what a hit. An incredibly fun afternoon, (laughs) which may well yet appear on ITV one of these days, with the likes of Katie Price and Richard Maidley taking their star turns. Dixie's was the kind of cider that had globular bits in it at the bottom of the plastic container, which I was assured were just apple pieces, but who knows, really, I really have no idea. It was so sharp, your cheeks would look like the character from The Scream. (laughs) Anyhow, having hadn't been an idiot and broken my leg from getting on the back of a very fast Kawasaki with a similarly inebriated driver following the afternoon on the hill, dancing wasn't on the agenda for the whole of the rest of this summer, but I did keep going to gigs as per the blueprint for happiness laid down in my school years. I would travel up to London with the crazy trains in the back of a horse box with my broken leg and walking stick. One night, though, following the gig, the band had decided they'd had enough with their manager. And uh, in true uh, Spinal Tap mode, I got involved and did my uh, girlfriend of the guitarist bit and also had a go at the manager. This argument came back to me a few years later, and there will be more mention of this soon. But we'll just skim over that now, and I'll just put that argument down to the frustration of being shoved back into a horse box to return from London to Bristol in a plaster cast, and also being fairly well plastered myself. That was the nature of the beast. But on a higher note, finally being freed from my thigh-to-ankle plaster cast, I went with Barry to see Bowie perform this on his Serious Moonlight Tour at Wembley Arena. And it's Let's Dance. And freed from my cast, dance we did. And dance the blues Let's dance To the song that play On the radio Let's sway While color lights up your face
My friend Trevor was the rider of the Kawasaki on that side of fueled afternoon and he did feel very guilty um, about the fact that I was unable to go to France to pick grapes that summer. So the following year he um, asked me to go along with a crew of some friends of ours, Jason, Tim, Jell and Mel and although we'd lived in shared housing at various times together, to go to France as a work crew was a first for us. I'd already been to France to pick grapes with some friends a few years ago, who funnily enough had parted at the squat in Bristol with our very own Bill Lawrence, <laughs> just a matter of weeks before our first trip. Unfortunately, that trip ended in disaster, which I won't go into, but uh, what would you expect, letting five kids loose in a Ford Capri in the south of France? Hmm. Well, I can't drive well on the right, aged 58, so how well would a drunk 19-year-old manage a car. So, enough said. This time round, I took a terrific new piece of tech with me, known as a Sony Walkman. I was the only person I knew who had a Walkman, because they cost a fair few quid back then, 
and I'd bought mine off someone who needed a quick 15 quid, no questions asked. So with my high-tech kit, which was the real thing in all its red, chromey, shiny glory, I would lay in my tent with my Walkman on, listening to an album, which was performed with mesmeric harmonies and lyrics that were foreign yet comforting. A kind of sonic reputation of France, really. I had no idea what they were singing about, but they always knocked me out. Every day was a very hard long day, great picking under the hot sun, which reached 106 degrees Fahrenheit on the worst of the September days. It was unheard of then because it was 42 degrees Celsius. So with that kind of heat and a decent litre or so of free Corbière wine, which was nightly consumed by each of us around the evening campfire, I would literally hallucinate grapes under the incredible shooting stars of the Pyrenean sky. Either gazing at the grapes in the firelight or looking up to the stars. Either way, I was hooked on being out in the open in a strange land and I would remain forever open to new foreign experiences for the rest of my life. And this track is from the album that I used to play in the tent. It's by the enigmatic Cocteau Twins and their version of Song to the Siren. On the I did all my best to smile Till your singing eyes and fingers Drew me laughing to your eyes And you sang Say to me Swear to me, let me unfold you. 
And then it was the end of the Vendage and my great picking buddies returned to Bristol because they each had a good reason to return. But I didn't and I also had money burning a hole in my pocket. A pile of cash on top of the free wine allowance and food which had been donated nightly from the patron of the vineyards. We were paid what amounted to £22 a day for our labour and it was a very healthy amount of money to have after three weeks of hard graft. So, possibly not the best move, bearing in mind that I had a partner waiting for me back in Bristol, I made a very real spur-of-the-moment decision from holding the cash in my hand to suddenly arriving at Perpignan Railway Station and within a matter of hours I had struck out alone by train for Portugal. I had my tent on my back and just a scrap of paper with a couple of must-see places scribbled on it by a melon trev. I knew not very much about Portugal, but I knew I fancied a holiday. Perhaps had I known it would take so long to go by train through Spain, I may not have bothered at all. But hey, it was worthwhile and I got there, down to the Algarve, after a matter of probably two or three days. (laughs) And after a fantastically wild old time in Portugal, I returned to Bristol to part company with Barry. And it was now just me and Leo the cat and no way of paying the rent. So off we went back to a shared house comprised of many of the people with whom I was with in France and others from my initial years in Bristol. So tight was our crew of Essex drifters, which was around 30 in number by now, um, that we were dotted around Bristol. But this time I had a beautiful room with an ensuite bathroom in what had been an old people's home in Knoll. The windows were stained glass, the rooms were enormous and the bed was a proper bed on a frame and all. I had really grown up now, but the situation was pretty much the same and my little Leo left home. It was all too much for my beloved cat, who was clearly not as well prepared to shack up with the crew of cats, dogs and all the other madness that was abounding. After all, he was a one-woman kind of cat, and this really must have been the final straw for poor Leo. Bless him. And by now, it's 1985, and because of the mass unemployment among young people on a national level, a job creation scheme has been formed by the generous government of Maggie Thatcher. Naturally suspicious as I am, I still know I need to take a proper job if I'm ever going to be able to leave the shared housing cycle and the dole queue. So after a very bizarre interview with the Crazy Trains manager, who I had a spat with several years earlier, I got a job as his assistant, an assistant arts administrator. And to be honest, that was a massive turning point in my life. And it's undoubtedly the entire making of who I am today. God bless you, Alan Roberts. And so I entered the world of work once again. I'd had enough of floating around from one house to the next, one country to another on a whim. Perhaps it was the loss of my boyfriend, my cat, or the fact that my Ford Escort blew up and I had to sell my sacks to pay for its repair. Either way, poverty was biting a bit and I had debts to pay too. And so began my 12-year stint working in the voluntary sector, where I learned how to run a community arts venue, budgeting, putting on events, fundraising and many other things. And in fact, my home tutoring business today is loosely based on the commission basis that we had set up for the dance teachers at the dance centre where I initially worked. 
I worked very long hours then, as indeed I still do now. But I always made time to go clubbing every weekend, which unfortunately I don't do now. But I danced a lot to the final track that's coming up. And I even had a little dabble at being a goth. And so here we are. And ironically enough, it is, um, it's about a record. This is Dead or Alive and it's You Spin Me Round. And I still actually possess the same 12-inch vinyl that I purchased 38 years ago. Um, maybe one day I'll crimp my hair, put on my blacks, play it again and uh, spin around a bit.
Red Button is a Guppy production for Colm Radio and is committed to a varied, equitable and truly inclusive output that properly reflects the ethnic diversity of our community audience. Music